European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 36. Focus Issue, Atrial Fibrillation, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Risks and Management of Cardioversion and Catheter Ablation in Atrial Fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is one of the most common arrhythmias that increases in prevalence with age, hypertension, alcohol abuse and genetic disposition. Besides symptoms such as palpitations and exercise intolerance, atrial fibrillation is associated with stroke and most likely also an increased risk of premature death. Currently, anticoagulation with vitamin K antagonists or novel oral anticoagulants or NOACs are recommended by all guidelines in the prevention of stroke, while catheter-based ablation is considered in those not responding to or not tolerating antiarrhythmics. The impact of the procedure on outcomes is still controversial, Except in patients with heart failure, catheter-based ablation is also associated with complications, among them bleeding and stroke and extremely rarely death. Thus, peri-interventional anticoagulation is an issue addressed in a fast track entitled Uninterrupted Adoxaban versus Vitamin K Antagonists for Ablation of Atrial Fibrillation, the Eliminate AF Trial, by Stefan Hunlauser and colleagues from the Klinikum der JW Goethe Universität in Frankfurt, Germany. This trial, an open-label randomized parallel group study, assessed safety and efficacy of once-daily adoxaban versus vitamin K antagonists in 553 patients undergoing catheter ablation. In the ablation population, the primary endpoint was observed in 2.7% on adoxaban and 1.7% on vitamin K antagonists between start of ablation and end of treatment. There was one ischemic and one hemorrhagic stroke, both in patients on adoxaban. Small cerebral microemboli were detected by magnetic resonance imaging in 13.8% on adoxaban compared with 9.6% on vitamin K antagonists. The authors conclude, in spite of a trend to more events with the NOAC, that uninterrupted adoxaban therapy represents an alternative to uninterrupted vitamin K antagonist treatment in patients undergoing ablation. In his editorial, Christopher Granger from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA, discusses the validity of these results for clinical practice. Cardioversion of atrial fibrillation bears a certain risk of thromboembolic events, even in the presence of anticoagulants. It's unclear whether cardioversion causes thromboembolic events or is rather a risk marker. In their article, Thromboembolic events around the time of cardioversion for atrial fibrillation in patients receiving antiplatelet treatment in the active trials, Jeff Healy and colleagues from the McMaster's University in Canada address this issue. They studied 962 patients randomized to aspirin or aspirin plus clopidogrel comparing the thromboembolic rate 30 days before until 30 days after cardioversion to the rate thereafter during follow-up. The 30-day thromboembolic rate remote from cardioversion was 0.16%, but 0.73% in the pericardioversion period, hazard ratio 4.1. The 30-day thromboembolic rate in the periods immediately before and after cardioversion was 0.47% and 0.96% respectively, hazard ratio 2.2. Heart failure hospitalization also increased in the pericardioversion period with a hazard ratio of 11.5.
Compared to baseline, the thromboembolic rate in the 30 days following cardioversion was increased both in patients who received oral anticoagulants or a transesophageal echocardiogram prior to cardioversion, hazard ratio 7.9, and in those who did not, hazard ratio 7.9. Of note, the risk was also increased with successful and unsuccessful cardioversion. Thus, thromboembolic risk increased in the months before and after cardioversion, similar to heart failure hospitalization. Hence, the increased thromboembolic risk around cardioversion may not be entirely causal, but confounded the overall clinical deterioration of patients requiring cardioversion, a conclusion that is further discussed in a balanced editorial by Freek Verhoegd from the Onselieve Frau Gasthaus in Amsterdam, Netherlands. While catheter ablation has emerged as an important treatment option with excellent results in patients with symptomatic atrial fibrillation, there is limited data on differences in outcomes in the two genders. In their article, sex-based differences in outcomes, 30-day readmissions, and costs following catheter ablation of atrial fibrillation, the United States Nationwide Readmissions Database 2010-14, Jim Wei Chung and colleagues from the Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, USA sought to compare in-hospital outcomes and 30-day readmissions of women and men undergoing atrial fibrillation ablation. Based on ICD-9 CM codes of the United States Nationwide Readmissions Database, they identified comorbidities and outcomes in 54,597 patients of whom 38% were female. After adjustment, women had higher rates of any complications with an odds ratio of 1.39, such as cardiac perforation, bleeding, and or vascular complications. 30-day all-cause readmission rates were also higher for women, with 13.4% compared to 9.4% in men. Surprisingly, despite increased complications and readmissions, total costs for atrial fibrillation ablation were lower for women than men due to decreased resource utilisation. Thus, independent of age, comorbidities and hospital factors, women have higher rates of complications and re-emissions following atrial fibrillation ablation. How such disparities in the management of atrial fibrillation would need to be addressed is further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Rashmi Shah from the University of Utah Hospital in SLC, Utah, USA. Gout is a highly symptomatic disease and associated with a higher risk of cardiovascular disease and atrial fibrillation in particular. Allopurinol and febuxostat are used to lower uric acid in such patients, but ability to reduce atrial fibrillation risk is unknown. This issue is discussed in an article, Comparative Effectiveness of Allopurinol and febuxostat for the Risk of Atrial Fibrillation in the Elderly, a propensity-matched analysis of Medicare claims data by Jasvinder Singh and colleagues from the University of Alabama in Birmingham in Alabama, USA. They studied a cohort of 23,135 elderly who had received a new prescription for allopurinol or febuxostat, with a baseline period of 365 days without either medication. In 9% of these incidents, allopurinol or febuxostat use ended in incident atrial fibrillation with crude incident rates of 8.0 or 10.5 per 100 person years respectively. In propensity-matched analysis, febuxostat was associated with hazard ratio of atrial fibrillation of 1.25. Compared to allopurinol less than 200 mg per day, 
For Bugsostat, 80 mg per day was associated with a hazard ratio of 1.62, but not for Bugsostat, 40 mg per day or higher allopurinol doses. Thus, for Bugsostat, is associated with higher risk of atrial fibrillation compared to allopurinol in older adults, most evident in the first six months. The clinical importance of these findings are explored further in an editorial by Stefano Massi from the University College London in the United Kingdom. This issue is complemented by various discussion forum contributions. In a first one, risk stratification for stroke in atrial fibrillation, incorporating neurologists in the comprehensive management, Haifeng Li from the Qilu Hospital of Shandong University in Beijing, China, commented on the recently published article entitled Risk Stratification for Stroke in Atrial Fibrillation, a Critique, by Amar Kilu and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, USA. Kilu et al. respond to Lee and colleagues in a separate response. In another discussion forum contribution entitled Central Autonomic Network and Takosubo Cardiomyopathy, How Left Insular Cortex Interact, Maikiyaki Nagai and colleagues from the Hiroshima City Asa Hospital in Hiroshima, Japan, comment on a recently published article, Altered Limbic and Autonomic Processing Supports Brain-Heart Axis in Takosubo Syndrome, by Christiane Templan and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland. Templan et al. respond to this contribution in their own manuscript. Finally, in a third discussion forum, recommendations for participation in competitive sport in athletes with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, opening the sacs to Eolius, Evstathios Pagorilias and colleagues from the University Hospital Leuven in Belgium comment on the recently published contribution entitled Recommendations for Participation in Competitive and Leisure Time Sport in Athletes with Cardiomyopathies, Myocarditis and Pericarditis. Position Statement for the Sport Cardiology Section of the European Association of Preventative Cardiology, EAPC by Sanjay Sharma from the St. George University of London in the United Kingdom and colleagues. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.